I'm going to turn over to Mark Icus. Come on up. We're so blessed to have Mark and Kathy. They're back for another year in the area from their time in Bosnia and relaxing, getting refreshed, speaking, whatever else you're doing, traveling, traveling all that good yes. stuff. So welcome. Thank you. It's great to be back at NLF. I've been listening to uh, Pastor Nate and uh, Aaron and their sermons over the last month or so. And uh, I really appreciate what Nate's trying to do to get us to focus on who God is. And uh, by understanding who God is, then, then we are changed, I believe, for the better. When we have incorrect ideas of God, then uh, we're also changed and also for the worse. I'm trying to remember exactly how I put it. What's the Tozer quote? What we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. Um, I like that. Uh, and I'm glad that you quote it regularly throughout this series. 30 years ago, this fall, I was sitting in the Student Union Building at the University of Toledo. As a senior studying finance. I was sitting in an InterVarsity meeting, and at that meeting, a team of other students who had gone on a summer mission project to India had just come back, and they were sharing with us some of the things that happened while they were there. And uh, back in those days, they, uh, people used slideshows. There was a Kodak slide projector, and I had, I think they had at least a carousel, but maybe two carousels of slides from their trip to India. And as their, their, there were four of them on the team, and as their presentation started, one of them regularly just clicked through the slides as they were talking. And the thing that amazed me about the slides, one of the things that they focused on in their photographs from India was the hundreds, the thousands, actually the millions of idols that the people in India worship. And they were talking about their experiences and things, that, and I just kept seeing these pictures flashing behind them. And I remember thinking to myself, oh God, if only they knew about your son Jesus, they would throw those idols away. And then one of the guys on the India team said this. And if you tell them about Jesus, they say, that's great. And they go to the market, and they find an idol of Jesus, and they put him on their shelf next to all the other idols of Jesus. And when I heard that, I was crushed. And it was like a holy jealousy filled me. And at that meeting, I said, God, if you want me to go where people don't know you, I'm ready. Here I am. The truth is, I wasn't ready, <laughs> but I was willing. And I believe that that was the moment that God first called me into overseas missions. And it was because of 
an emotion, an emotion called jealousy. Jealousy. Jealousy today uh, gets a bad rap. And uh, now you can play the soundbite from Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, who describes um, why she left her faith. Um, sitting in church in my late 20s, and I was going to this church where you had to get there at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, or you couldn't get a seat, and a very uh, charismatic minister, and everybody was just, you know, into the sermon. And uh, this great uh, minister was preaching about how great God was, and how omniscient, and omnipresent, and God is everything. And then he said, and the Lord thy God is a jealous God. And I was, you know, caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And something struck me. Just, and I was like, uh, I think about 27 or 28. I was thinking, God is all, God is omnipresent, God is all. And God's also jealous. Jealous, God is jealous of me. Um, and something about that didn't, didn't feel right in my spirit. No, Oprah, the reason it That's didn't good. sit with you right is because it's... So, you can find that clip on YouTube. There's a number of uh, pastors who have made comments on that clip, like the one that you are just about to hear. Um, the, uh, the thing that struck me when I heard that was something that I think happens often when we talk about the attributes of God. And that is... Uh, when we hear about an attribute of God, but we think about that attribute through how that attribute looks when it's manifested in human beings, and then we are repulsed by it. And so Oprah is looking at jealousy, the way jealousy looks when it's manifested in us, typically. And even Scripture talks about the ways that jealousy should not be manifested, but often is. Before I get mention some of those, let me just say that when we talk about the attributes of God, there are attributes that God, in his sovereignty, in his holiness, uh, has a right to manifest that we, because we're not sovereign... And because we're often not righteous, we don't have a right to manifest those attributes. And so, for example, the commandment comes down from Mount Sinai, thou shalt not murder. On the other hand, God is the Lord and giver of life. And because God is God, God is allowed to take life. And when he does, he's not required to give an answer to anyone. But if I were to take a life, I have to give an answer to God for that. Because he's the Lord and the giver of life. And so, what I see often these days uh, in contemporary religious America and even people who wouldn't even claim to be religious. But I see uh, sometimes they have an attitude where they're holier than thou. 
Now, usually Christians are accused of being holier than thou. People look at the church and say, Christians claim that, you know, they don't sin in this way, in that way, but then look at their lives. They're just like everybody else. But they pretend like they're holier than thou. And that means holier than you. I'm holier than you, thou, the old form for you. But I think what I see even more these days is from people who don't even necessarily claim to be religious, that they're holier than thou with a capital T. And when they say, when I say that, what I mean is they're saying, God, I'm holier than you. Because I would never get angry. I would never take a life. If I were in your place, God, I would never permit suffering. And this is what I mean by the holier-than-thou attitude. So Oprah's saying, jealousy for me is a deal-breaker when it comes to God. If God is going to be jealous, I'm too good for that. I can't worship that kind of God. And it breaks my heart because I see this attitude often in our world today, where people will take a certain attribute of God but look at it through human lenses and then say, I can't worship a God like that. But the truth is, Oprah, when you, look, when you think of the word jealousy, it doesn't correspond with the jealousy of God. It corresponds with the jealousy of sinful humankind. And it breaks my heart when I hear people talk like that. The Bible, in many places, itself talks about jealousy. It also uses the word envy, and sometimes it includes the idea of covetousness. And we know that all of these are sins. But I'll just mention a couple places. In the New Testament, in James, he says in chapter 3, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So the, the point here is, is that desire, envy, jealousy, covetousness, within us is focused on the wrong things. And because they're focused on the wrong things, when we even go to God and ask for them, he'll say no. And I appreciate um, the fact that also it talks about the fact that these desires within us often are what cause strife among people. Our selfishness causes strife. 
But God is calling us through James here to be people who pursue peace. There's a number of places in the New Testament where it gives lists of gross sins that uh, Christians are supposed to distance themselves from. And one of those is in Romans 13, starting in verse 12, where it says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Wow, jealousy is right up there with orgies and drunkenness. Because it's all about seeking what I want. Human jealousy is often an ugly and a destructive thing. I'll say that again. Human jealousy is often an ugly and a destructive thing. And so I understand if that's the only reference you have for what jealousy is. I can understand why Oprah said what she said. But I want to go on to say, but Oprah, God's jealousy isn't like that. God's jealousy is different. I would say God's jealousy is a beautiful, redemptive thing. If human jealousy is an ugly, destructive thing, God's jealousy is a beautiful, redemptive thing. The pinnacle of God's jealousy is in Jesus Christ. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus knew that he was going to Jerusalem to die. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke makes that very clear. There's a point in the story where he stops his ministry in Galilee and he turns in the direction of Jerusalem. He says he set his face like flint for Jerusalem. And as he arrives in Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13, it says in verse 34, Jesus, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So we see in Jesus this longing, and this longing is from God, that Jerusalem would turn away from looking at herself and to look to God. Unfortunately, he continues and says, Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the idea of desolation uh, is borne out later, or while the New Testament is being written. Uh, the Roman armies come and surround Jerusalem. And Titus, the general at that time, 
lays waste to the city, they sack the temple, and then they raise the temple. If you go to Rome and look at the Ark of Titus, which was built to commemorate the victory of the Romans over Jerusalem, you can see etched in the side pictures of the troops carrying the menorah out of the temple. So jealousy, when it's manifested through God, it's still a terrible thing in that it's frightening, it's powerful. Wrath is mixed up with it. But it's also a beautiful thing because it's wielded by a God whose goal is redemption. It's wielded by a God whose goal is redemption. One of the reasons that God becomes jealous is because God understands, as the creator and Lord of the universe, that only he is truly worthy of worship and adoration. That only he is truly worthy of worship and adoration. And so he even commands the people of Israel, do not make a graven image. Do not bow down to them. Do not serve images because the Lord your God is a jealous God. The Lord your God is a jealous God. I think the reason I told Nate over the last couple of weeks, this is a message that has been brewing inside me for a long time, but it's, but it's been hard for me to put it together because I believe one of the things that God is doing as I'm preparing this message is he's showing to me again, Mark, you have within your own soul an idol factory. When we think of idols, we think of graven images made of silver or gold or wood that you set up on a shelf or in a special box or in a temple and you walk up to it and you bow down to it and maybe you bring offerings to it. But in today's day, we don't have to have a physical idol that we worship. We can worship other things. We can worship success. We can worship recreation. We can worship money. Even good things in our lives can become idols if we place too much importance in them. Things like marriage, children, a home. All of these things can become idols. And when we make them idols, that ignites the jealousy of God. God is jealous for our worship because he alone is worthy of our worship. And it's a truism in life that when we make other things other than God, our idols, our object of worship, they will end up destroying us because they cannot satisfy the needs of the human soul. When we worship things other than God, it will destroy us because those things cannot satisfy the needs of the human soul. And that's why God becomes angry because idolatry is killing us. Let me take you on a trip to Bosnia-Herzegovina and to areas around the Balkans. I told you when I was called, the team had come from India. And 
in India, they're, they're are self-professed polytheists, if you will, or pantheists, I should say. But uh, they believe that the God that's in everything manifests itself in many, many ways. And so idols are just a natural thing to their way of life. In our part of the world, all of the religious groups claim to be monotheists. Islam, Judaism, Roman Catholic Christianity, Serbian Orthodox Christianity, they all claim monotheism. But when you're walking down the street in the Balkans, you'll quickly become aware that other idols have taken place of the one true God. I go to a bookstore at St. Francis's, Svet, uh, I'm sorry, at St. Anthony's, Sveti Ante, they say it in the local language. Um, St. Anthony's is a Franciscan church in Sarajevo, and they've got a great little bookstore. But I was there one day, and the lady said to me behind the counter, you see the statue outside of St. Anthony? And I said, yes, I do. She said, on Tuesdays, more Muslims come and light a candle than even the Christians do. I said, oh, that's very interesting. What am I talking about? In Roman Catholic faith, Tuesday is St. Anthony's Day. And so many, many people throughout the centuries, if they've lost something, they've said a prayer to St. Anthony to find it. If they find the thing that they've lost, many of them, out of thanksgiving, dedicate themselves every Tuesday to fast and to pray to St. Anthony because he answered their prayer. If we walk across the river to the cathedral, uh, the cathedral was built about 100 years ago, and uh, the bishop at the time was Bishop Stodler. He was the one that built the cathedral, and he is entombed underneath the cathedral. If you walk into the cathedral, over to the left, you'll see his tomb. There's a little prayer bench there where you can kneel and ask for things from Brother Joseph. He's not a saint yet, but people believe that he hears your prayers and answers them. There's even a little coin slot that you can drop money in. But the amazing thing is, around his grave, there are all these little plaques. Some are carved out of marble. Some are carved out of um, metal. But they all say, thank you, Joseph, for answering my prayer. This is a cathedral. It's a cathedral dedicated to the sacred heart of Jesus, it's called. But when you walk into the cathedral, Joseph Stadler and Mary, the mother of Jesus, take the place of preeminence. And that's where people go to pray. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. If you ask a pious Christian in that part of the world, why do you worship saints or Mary? they would be quick to say, oh, we don't worship the saints. We only venerate them. 
okay, well, why, why do you ask them for prayers? And they'll say, they have stored up so much good in their lives that in their death, they can hand out that goodness to others, and it can be credited to others to help them. So in a way, they're kind of like a go-between between God in heaven, who's almighty, and the person who prays. When I hear that, again, that holy jealousy rises up within me. And the verse that comes to mind is from 1 Timothy, where it says, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Somehow, people have so exalted Jesus and the Father that they believe that Jesus and the Father are untouchable, that they're distant, that they're off taking care of the business of the universe and they really couldn't deign to look down on somebody as small and insignificant as me. And so that's why, then, we need saints or other go-betweens. But I submit that that very teaching is idolatrous. And it's taking away the beautiful good news that God demonstrated that he cares about little old you and little old me because Jesus came and he mingled with the lowest. He ate with the lowest and then he gave his life and shed his blood. Scripture tells us not just for those contemporaries, but for all of mankind, including you and me. And Jesus goes one step further, and he says, I will send my spirit into you and into me. And so the good news is, is that we have a Savior who is intimately loves and cares for each one of us. But we still have this propensity inside us to make idols of other things. The Savior. The Savior has come and proven that God is yearning for a relationship with mankind. Not with just mankind globally, but mankind as individuals. God is yearning to know us and for us to know him. And when we set up idols and say, my true satisfaction will come from that. His anger is aroused because he loves us. But his anger is different. His anger is redemptive. And we see that most clearly with Jesus on the cross. The Lord Jesus, as he was beaten and then nailed to the cross, and as he was breathing his last breaths, the jealous wrath of God was meted upon Jesus the Son. And his blood was shed for all of us to bring us to God. And so what shall we do? We have a jealous God, a God who yearns for us. I will only recommend one thing, and that is 
Let's put him in the first place. In the first place. I don't know about you. I'm very tempted my first waking moments to watch the news. I'm tempted to play Sudoku. (laughs) But I'm being challenged. Aren't the first moments of my day and the last moments of my day, isn't God worthy of those? Can I give those to him? Can you give those to him? Whether it's reading or praying, but to say, God, I'm giving you the first part of my day because really the whole thing belongs to you. And to tell him, God, teach me. Teach me how to love and worship you the way you deserve and the way only you deserve. This is my prayer for me, and it's my prayer for you. Our God is a jealous God, but his jealousy is beautiful And it's redemptive. And really, he's the only one who's worthy of our worship and our adoration. Amen.